Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. We're talking about a powerless priesthood still, and we're talking about the grace. We've been looking in our series now about grace and the various dimensions of grace. I've called this, I'm thinking of renaming this series, The Power to Sustain. Obviously, it talks about grace, but the power to sustain. And we've been talking about the Valley of Baca. Baker, I don't know how it's pronounced, but but we're going to call it Baca. And it only makes sense, the Valley of Baca, is when your heart is fully set on a pilgrimage. It does not make sense if your heart has not been set on a course then passing through some things, some ugly things, makes no sense. Let me just say this to you. If your heart is not set on a course and trouble comes to your life, which it does, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, how many of you know trouble comes? But here's what happens. Here's the difference. If your heart is not set on a pilgrimage and you're just wandering and meandering through life, When dark days come, and like I said, they will, you will feel a victim. You feel like a victim. You feel unloved. You feel undervalued. You have a sense of self-pity and you become embittered. Why is it always happening to me, but not over there? But it does happen over there. You just don't know what people are going through. It's happening everywhere. It's happening right now in here. Okay, the fact that someone doesn't tell you doesn't mean to doesn't uh, negate the fact that people are going through hard times. But when you set your hearts on pilgrimage, you pass through some stuff. That's what we looked at. We looked at the various dimensions of going through Baca. We looked at the first thing. The first dimension of Baca is that your heart must be set on pilgrimage. If it's not set on pilgrimage, you're just wandering through life waiting for stuff to happen. And it will happen. (laughs) Believe me, it will happen. We said that it's so important that you set your heart on pilgrimage. Why? Because that's where your faith and a work must come together. Most people say, I have faith. I say, show me your works. Show me your works. Don't tell me you've got faith. All the faith preachers are telling me to get faith, to get money. None of them are telling me to get faith and get a work. True? It doesn't make one wrong, it just makes one unbalanced. Let me make that clear. One's unbalanced. We need a work. Most of the church is unemployed. It has no work. But the assignment is clearly set. That's why you need revelation and understanding to understand it. Once you're blind, now you can see. Level two was that by what we carry begins to affect where we travel. What we carry begins to affect where we travel. So if I'm full of doubt and unbelief and I'm I'm embittered and I'm full of self-pity, guess what I begin to communicate? I communicate those things because I affect. Now, let's turn that around into a positive. If it's good and I'm full of faith and I'm I'm going on with God, I also can begin to share my life with others. Because how many of you know, not every day is a sunny day. True? Not every day is a sunny day. So we need more sunny days than we need bad days, that is for sure. And that's about attitude. Thirdly, we go from strength to strength. It's very clearly in that scripture in Isaiah, it says we go from, they go from strength to strength. So there's a promise there that God won't leave you in the valley, you pass through it. Amen? And then we see the last dimension is that until everyone appears to God in Zion. Zion is the assignment. Zion is where we're moving to. That's the pilgrimage. Everything's shifting to Zion because that's where God lives. And there is a dimension. There is an expression of Zion that God wants us to portray on this earth. Most of the church, and I'm telling you now, guys, when you hear the word Zion... It was a word used in the church, maybe in the 50s and early 60s, but they never understood it like we're understanding it. They thought, they, kept, they used Zion in the sense of, we're going to support Israel. Yes? We're seeing it as not as a place, but as a dimension. 
a spiritual place. So we're seeing something that most churches are not seeing. So if you talk to people at Zion, they go, what are you on about? And they confuse Zion with Zion, being a Zionist. We are not a Zionist. We are for every tribe, tongue, and nation, not just for one. And in that, Israel is part of that. Amen? So we're not Zionists. We are, we're not even Zionites. Let's forget that. Let's not go down that path. We are, we believe Zion is a dimension that God is making known to us today. Amen? So we saw those, those four areas were key to us last week. So we've been looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go there. Because this, we, you, you, don't, you don't need grace if you're not on a pilgrimage. Hello? You don't need grace if you're not on a pilgrimage. If you're going nowhere, why do you need grace? You might need saving grace, that's about it. But sustaining grace is different. To get me up, to keep me on my feet, to get me out of bed, to keep me doing what God wants to do. I need grace, I need sustaining grace, something to keep me whole, you know, keep me in the field. Amen? But if I'm going to do nothing with my life, this is the problem over the years. People have said, you know, just hold on, God's coming back one day. And they have this defeatist, withdrawn mentality. What about advancing grace? And they say, now I'm saved, get me out of here. No, God save you to stay here. God save you to stay here. He wants his kingdom in you, on the earth. There's no such thing as get me out of here. We're not a celebrity or we are a celebrity. We're, you know, God's not the rescuers. God saved us a long time ago. Amen? So we don't, we're not looking to get out of here. We're looking to take over. We're looking to take over. That's what the kingdom is about. From the days of John the Baptist, since now, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it. That's you and me. Why do you need to lay hold of it? Because it's advancing. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, to keep me from being conceited. Is there any conceited people here this morning? I know your hands are not going to go up. I know that. But because it was, you know, from becoming conceited, so there was a possibility he could become conceited with all the revelation he knew. So to keep him from becoming conceited, so you ask for your portion this morning. Maybe a thorn in the flesh might be coming in the new year. (laughs) Okay? And that thorn in the flesh might be looking at you right now. Seriously. I'm not being flippant. Because what I say irritates you. What I say irritates some people because they say, no, I wish you'd shut up. No, I can't shut up. For sign's sake, I will not keep silent. Well, can you be a bit shorter? No, for my sake, I'll remain. I'll keep speaking until you and I keep changing. Amen? I've got one job to keep speak. To keep speaking, should say. That's my job, to speak, to impart. Anyway, we'll see that in a minute. To keep me from becoming conceited, and you and I from being conceited, God gave us a surpassing great revelations that was given to us a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan was given to torment me. Three times I pleaded. How many times? Three times. And you think, is God unmerciful? When you, when you and I go through trouble, we say, oh God, I pray to you, and you won't give me. God must be withholding on me. God's holding back. God doesn't love me anymore. Three times the dude prayed. And I pleaded with the Lord. So he didn't just pray, he pleaded. Lord, take it away. Take these chains, the Ray Charles song. Take these chains from my heart and set me free. But he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Like Paul understood what that meant. For my power is made perfect in weakness. How many of you know, this is a revelation Paul didn't have at this moment. He had pain. He had problems. And now he's been given grace and a revelation. What does all that mean, Lord? When I'm asking, when, you know, when you're in sickness, you go to the doctors and he hopes you, give, you hope that he'll give you a tablet to take away the pain. If he says, my grace is sufficient for you, you'd punch him. <laughs> Would you not? he said, say, never mind the grace, give me something to take the pain away. True? And this is what God's saying. Paul's saying, Lord, give me a tablet. 
Give me a word from heaven that will soothe my situation. Okay, my grace is sufficient for you. My power's made perfect in weakness. What? What? What we just said? What does that mean? God says, I know. Swallow it, Paul. Swallow it hard. That's it. Don't chuck it back at me. Just let it go down, son. That's it. Paul, you're about to see something that you could never have seen had you not been in this situation. And you want the pain taken away, but you won't learn the lesson. And this is what God is trying to say. We all want, take the pain away from you, Lord. No, but you'll be a better man if you just suffer a bit longer. No, that can't be God. And then you quote all the scriptures. God, God didn't say he wouldn't heal. What he might do is just take, a bit of, take you on a bit of a journey before he does heal you. Hello? That's just as much Bible as healing right now today. Okay? So he takes Paul on a journey. And he says, that, so Paul's attitude changes. The revelation hits his heart and he said, okay, therefore, I'll boast all the more. Not complain, not moan, not get on the phone to the other disciples. Not text 10 friends if you had them. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. So he goes from being mournful to now, hey, I've got problems. Aren't I the blessed one? He says, I'll delight in my weakness. When was the last time you delighted in your weakness? So that Christ's power may rest on me. This is complete, man, this is a revelation we all need. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. Oh, hang on, here's one for you all, and insults. Oh, and here's another one for you, hardships. Oh, and just in case you didn't understand, persecution! Oh, hang on, one more, difficulties. So, put them on your fridge magnet, you might need them 2013, you're going to get weakness, you're going to get insults, you're going to get hardships, you're going to get persecution, oh, and you're going to get difficulties. And no, that's not the present you wanted to open up. Neither do I. I ain't volunteering for that. But you know what? It's coming anyway, so I need an attitude adjustment. I need to understand this grace, so when it comes, I need to get through it. I can't be falling apart. My guts cannot be on the floor. True? It's coming, guys. But for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And how many times has he said that now? So he's got a revelation. But the good news is, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, in Ephesians 4, verse 7, he says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Let me say that again. Because you need to put this one on next to, next to 2 Corinthians 12, 7. You need to get on your fridge magnet, Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one, that's you, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has portioned it. Have you got your portion this morning? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure, man. I raised my hands. I don't know what fell from the ceiling. <laughs> it didn't come from the ceiling. It came by revelation. Oh, yeah, they said something like that had happened. Each one of us is given grace as God apportioned it. So you need to know your portion. You need to know your portion. God hasn't got an optics, you know, when you go for a drink and you say, I'll have a vodka, and he does that, and you get that measure. God hasn't given us all the same. It says that Christ apportioned it. What does, what does that mean? It depends on the pilgrimage that he's got for you. See, if you're going nowhere, you're going around in circles, sat there on your blessed assurance, tell me why you need a big measure of grace. Come on, be honest with yourself. So when you go through sickness and trials and stuff like that, the first thing you're thinking about is bail out. Paul wasn't thinking about bailing out, Paul was thinking about pressing on. Paul was thinking about getting through back, why? Because Paul was on the route to Zion. If you read scripture, it says, until everyone appears before God in Zion. Zion was the focus. So Paul's heart was for Zion to capture in God. Capture God in your heart. See what God is to you. Follow that and you will appear in Zion. That will lead you into Zion. Just follow God and he'll take, and it'll lead you into Zion. Okay, that's where God is. You're not looking for the roadmap that says Zion. You're looking for God. More of God. God, as you find God, God will you will appear before God in Zion. Okay? So, each one's been given a portion. So, we need to know what our portion is. 
So now you've been given saving grace. That means that's what got you into salvation. How many of you know, we said this before, it opens doors for you. Saving grace opens doors for you. Well, I know you don't believe me, it's okay. What about it leads to faith? From saving grace, it leads to faith. When you receive Christ, you was given a measure of faith that was not even your own. So it opened the door so that you could receive a measure of faith that you couldn't ever have had had you not received grace. Okay? So when the door is opened up for grace, uh, faith, it led the door then to peace. You receive peace in your heart that now me and God are okay. True? So then when you went from peace, you then went to hope. Have now got a hope. And then from hope, you went to glory. So you need to understand these are the dimensions of grace. Grace opens the door for you to receive faith. Faith to peace. Peace to hope. Hope to glory. I know you've never heard that before. Well, that's your first portion this morning. It's your revelation. If I can work on and operate into that dimension, then I understand my grace. When you feel your hope is beginning to wean, Lord, give me hope. Push in for the grace to continue in the hope. When your face wandering, Lord, give me the grace to, to build this. Build yourself up, the Bible says, in your most holy faith. I need grace, oh God, to sustain me on that journey. Okay? So that every time you see, you can see these doors are clearly what you need grace for. Right now, you should be able to look at your life and say, which door do I need to open? Do I need greater faith right now? Do I need peace right now? Do I need hope right now? Do I need glory right now? Well then, press into those areas. And Romans says this, Romans 5 verse 1, he says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. All those dimensions are in that one verse. Yeah? And then we said to each other, in a couple of, uh, over this period of time, we said that grace according to Acts 11, verse 23, so you've received grace, now this grace needs to be evidenced. You can't receive something and not show the evidence of it. Many of us are going to, right now, many of us have got the hope, the belief, the faith, and the peace that someone's going to buy me a present this year. True? Are you miserable? Like no one buying you a present this year? True? You've got the hope that those who love you the most would at least gone out ahead of time, tracked down the most valuable present, and bought it you. True? Right. Now, what good is a promise without a delivery? True? You want evidence that someone says... You know, the worst thing, I always say this to Phil, the worst thing is when someone says to you, you know what I saw today? You know what you could have had? I say to me, never tell me what I could have had. Tell me what you've got me. Tell me what I can have, what you've got me. But don't ever tell me what I could have had. That would just frustrate me. It's in it. It's bad. I nearly bought you. That's it. I nearly bought you. <laughs> David, she's looking at you, David, when she's saying that. So maybe you, she, you need some more grace over there. <laughs> Is it saving grace? <laughs> Sustaining grace. <laughs> oh, bless God. Never tell somebody what they could have had. If I'd said that to my kids all through their life, you know what, I'd have been a cruel father. You know what, Laura, I saw this wonderful dress or this doll for you. You could have had it, darling, but guess what? <laughs> I give it to somebody else. Can you imagine what I'd have done? Oh, my Lord, that have carried me out on a stretcher. And he says this in Acts 11, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to all to remain. That word remain means to sustain for a long period of time. He was glad and encouraged them. He encouraged them to stay true to the Lord with all their hearts. How do you encourage someone to stay true to the Lord with all their hearts without sustaining grace? You need to impart something into people that will help them sustain. 
That's why this word is so important that when I come to minister this word, I always want it to take you to the next level. I don't want, to ta- I don't want it to take you from week to week. I want it to take you from level to level. Amen? Because if I take you from week to week, we're running a service ministry. You're not a car that needs servicing by my hand. You have responsibilities to look after your own vehicle. Amen? I'm not even the MOT station. Do you know that? I'm not even the MOT station. You have a responsibility to make sure your vehicle's in good working order. I might be repair. I might be many things, but I'm not those things I've just mentioned. So, you now take this grace, what we've just said. You now evidence this grace and you put it on a pilgrimage. You now put it on a fixed course. Because it's no point keep saying, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm filled with this romantic uh, mysticism that I've received the goodness of God. But you're going nowhere with it. You're taking it nowhere. All presents are only truly valued when they're unwrapped and used. True? Unwrapped and used. So, we now take this grace and we set it on a fixed course. And we'll look to see where this grace then can come to us in increasing measure. Grace by grace. Because the portion of grace is dependent upon the pilgrimage. Amen? But we must learn to, listen, here's the key now, it's where we change. This grace now, everyone's got a portion of grace. Everyone. Did your scripture say that? Everyone. Did it omit your name at the side of it? No, it included you when it said everyone. So everyone, whether you're, whether you're conscious of it or unconscious of it, you have been given a measure of saving grace, sorry, of grace when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Now, if you didn't give your life to Jesus Christ, you haven't got it. But if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have got a portion. In other words, you've got a down payment. You've got the first installment. You know, most of these betting companies now will give you the first £10 free to, get, to hook you in. Yeah? Don't set the £10. Don't even go there. The issue is this. God has given you a down payment. A down payment. Because each one has been given us, each one of us has been given as Christ apportioned it. Has God determined it? Amen? So you know you've got a portion of grace, but, but, let me just go back and want something to say something there. You must recognize, respect, honor, and appreciate, let me say that again, recognize, respect, appreciate, and honor the grace carried in others. You must. If it's to be evidenced, in other words, if we're going to put it out there, people can misunderstand us. People can misunderstand us. So you need to respect, honour, appreciate and recognise. I've said them in the, in the wrong order. It doesn't matter, but they're the four words. So that we can appreciate the grace in other people. Each one has been given a portion. So we, we must know how to recognise, respect, honour those dimensions. Now, Each one of us has the ability to create. Do you know that? Every one of you has got the ability to create. You can can create faith. God has given you the seed on the inside to create faith. God has given you the seed on the inside to create trust. God has given you the seed on the inside to forgive. God has given you everything. Peter says you've been given everything for life and godliness. Everything. So you've got the technologies and everything's in seed form. Okay? Everything God's ever given you is in seed. So who creates the seed? God. God gave you a deposit right from the word beginning. All you need to do now is build on that. Keep creating more and more and more. It's like the snowball effect. The heavens created the snow. It needs your effort now to roll it. To put it into a ball, to roll it. Is there any limit what size that ball can go to? No. It depends. It gets to a point where manpower then becomes the issue. 
But the issue is, as long as there's snow on the floor, it can keep on growing. Right. The Bible says you've got a mustard seed. Work on the deposit you've got. But you must recognize it's in others. And others have developed it to different levels than you have. Now, you could be envious, you could be jealous, you could be bitter. The smart man says, how have you developed it? Show me. I might need you to help me push my snowball, get it rolling. So I can accumulate some momentum in my growth to develop this grace. True? And you've been given, the, the word create means the ability to cause something to come into existence. Amen? So greater faith, you can create it and bring it into existence. True? Some people will take this word this morning, and I'm speaking, and they will take it as a seed, and all through the week, they'll roll it. They'll roll it. Where others will sit idle and watch somebody else come in over the next couple of weeks and say, oh, they look better than me. Why is she better than this? Why is that better than this? Blah, blah, blah. And then they, they, they pull them down. If you don't recognize the grace, you'll always take a cheap shot at somebody. Some people think they can do what I do. I like to think I can do what Jonathan David does. And then Jonathan David picks the microphone up and I go, oh, flipping heck. (laughs) When he lifts his holy hands, angels turn up the rest. And I lift my holy hands up. Guess what I get? B.O. Not not me, your B.O. (laughs) Come on, sort yourselves out. I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm filled with the fragrance of Christ. I know what he does is far greater than what I do. But I don't sit there and think that because he can do what he does. I shouldn't do what I do. True? He's my inspiration. He's been my father. He's shown me how to work in these dynamics. Now I'm trying to show you. Now we don't judge one another. We appreciate what God's given us. And if you feel threatened by someone else's grace, you need a revelation of grace. Amen? So we have the ability to create. That has been put in the dream center. In fact, it's been put in everybody's heart. The next level is God has brought this seed into, sorry, God has brought this grace to birth in you as a seed measure. You must remember that. You need to take that seed to the next stage. So the next stage is the ability to carry the seed. The word carry means to suggest a personal responsibility. As it literally means, listen, to bear the weight of a pressure. To carry means you you burden, you carry the weight of a pressure. What was Paul saying in Corinthians? I feel hard pressed on it. Sorry, I'm trying to think. I haven't got the scripture in front of me. I want to go back. To keep, to keep me from being conceited, you know, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. And God said to me, I pleaded with the Lord three times. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, you're going to have to. Paul was feeling the weight of carrying it. He was feeling the pressure of carrying his pilgrimage. The grace wasn't causing him the problem. It was the pilgrimage. The pressure that the pilgrimage brings the responsibilities that people were putting on him. His heart to see the church expand. All that comes on us when we have an assignment. That's why you need a grace. But most people are unemployed. They're sat in church, picking the nose, going nowhere. And we preach these messages and they go nowhere. They bounce off the wall. This is only going to work if you're moving forward. So in Isaiah 46 verse 4. Even God recognizes his ability to carry and the pressure. That's why he said to Israel, even, in, even to your old age, not in your old age, to your old age, and your gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I'll carry you. I'll sustain you and I'll rescue you. Man alive. That takes grace. Grace for you to receive that. God's carrying you. God's sustaining you. Even though it feels hard. Now let me tell you what grace doesn't do. Grace doesn't make everything sweet. Grace keeps you in the race. (coughs) And on your feet. Hello? Grace doesn't take pain away. Grace gives you the ability to endure pain. To endure difficulties. You know they give ladies. What is it? uh, Is it pepper? What do they call it when they're having babies? Pethidin. 
to endure the pain. Why? Because her heart has been set on pilgrimage to have this baby. True? And she's saying, and they're saying, gas in air, gas in air, give me everything. Why? Because she's still got to bring to birth what she's been carrying. True? So they give her additional things to help get her mind off the pain so she can bring it forth. Because we can't abort halfway through. We've got to complete it. True? And you're saying, come on, darling, you're holding her hands tighter. She's saying, is that the best you've got? That is not sustaining me. You're the problem. It's your seed. True? And then when the baby's born, father goes, see what I created. She goes, look around you, look at the mess. That's what you created. But they give you additional supplements to help you come through the transition. True? Then the next thing is this. When you've given birth to something, a new measure, you go to the next level, which is to care for it. You create, you carry, and you care for. All this is in my book called The Legacy. I go through these stages. I'm just giving you a a free installment. To care means, listen, something which causes one to gain a concern. Either emotionally, intellectually, or spiritually. For out of these concerns, love produces random acts of human kindness. As soon as a lady gives birth, what's the first thing she wants to do? Care for the baby. Every day she's doing random acts of human kindness. Because she's given birth to something that cost her something. True? Hello? Now, if you get your Bibles, go to Numbers chapter 1. I'm trying to give you all this the best I can. Go to Numbers chapter 1, verse 50. And here's, you see the difference here, how grace operates. We need to recognize the grace in others. We need to respect it. We need to honor it. We need to protect it. And here we see how God moved and gave a a pilgrimage to one group of people, but not to the other. And there was a grace that needed. So Numbers chapter 1, verse 50. Instead, he said, appoint the Levites to be in charge of the tabernacle. Who? The Levites of the testimony over all its furnishings, everything belonging to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They are to take care of it and encamp around it. So you can see who's getting the responsibility here. Can we see that? Whenever the tabernacle is to move, the Levites had to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall do it. Nobody else, them. This is their role. Anyone else? Goes near it, and they're going to be put to death. Right there, that should, should tell us there's a, grace that the, there's a grace given to these people to do a specific job, what the other Israelites couldn't do. So we need to respect the Levites for what they do. Rather than complain, they've not put it up right. True? There are always two groups of people in the church. There are those who are building, and there are those who are watching. You see that on our roads, don't you? You see seven workmen watching the one working. And we wonder why it takes so long for a road to be finished. Maybe if they all got off the backside and did something, we might get the road finished quicker. But in the church, you'll always get those, what's not straight? Look at that, the way they've done that. Look at the way they put those candles. Oh, the candle's gone out. Oh, you know, you can always do something better, but you haven't been graced to do it, so shut up. But if you do it, you're going to put us all to death. So let the Levites take their graced role. Hello? Hello? The Israelites had to set up their tents by divisions. Now the Israelites could put up tents. Just not the tabernacle. Okay? By divisions. Well, it's amazing how many people put things up by divisions. Pun there. Each man in his own camp under his own standard. Oh, you've got standards, but you ain't got the grace. They've got the grace and the standards. Okay? 
The Levites, however, are to set up their tents around the tabernacle of the testimony so that the wrath will not fall on the Israel community. So what they did affected everybody else. True? Oh, it is clear. It is is very clear. Ready to read this next verse? The Levites are to be responsible for the care of the tabernacle, of the testimony. Okay? Is that clear to everyone? What is, a, what is a modern day Levi? I'll tell you now, it's called your eldership. They are responsible to take care of the community. The community of God's people. They are the ones who have been given authority and government to make sure the people of God are protected and taken care for. But now, because we're not building a, we're not building a tabernacle now, Jesus Christ is building his church. Hello? Jesus Christ is building his church. We had his government. So now we all have our hands on. But that means we can't do, we can't all do the same things. You can't do government. Some people are called for government. Others are not. Some are called to lead. Some are called to follow. If I put it that way. So we must recognize what God has set in our midst. So we don't go beyond the line. We don't marginalize, we don't minimalize, we don't overstep our boundary. Grace has a boundary. If you ask me to play the bass or the drums or the keyboard, guess what? You're getting like a bout of hell coming out of there. If you put me on a guitar, you just about get a note. I don't consider myself a guitarist, more of a plonker. The issue is this, if I put half of you over there, it's going to be, enough said, point made. It's amazing how many people think they can sing. And until they get up, look at the X Factor. We have X Factor in church. People think they can sing. And it's like, oh my Lord, there is no grace. Grace didn't exist for you in that area. Your portion, you need an upgrade right now. Get to heaven tunes. Go and buy yourself a new portion. If you haven't got a voice, you haven't got a voice. But that's what? We're going to help you understand you haven't got a voice. Now go to Ephesians chapter 4. This is a crucial verse. I want to help you see something now. I understand Ephesians 4 like I've never understood it. I see something in this Ephesians 4 that has really helped me to understand how everything works in the pastoral office. Ephesians 4. But to each one, a portion of grace has been given to us as Christ apportioned. You've already read that, but let's read on. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in the train and gave gifts to men. Think of that word, gifts to men. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Who has descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fulfill the whole, fill the whole universe. Okay, he's saying that's what he achieved on Calvary. But then he says this, it was he who gave. Now we, we read the verse that he gave gifts to men. This is what he means now, he's put them in the church. Those gifts have now been set in the church. Okay, so he said this, it was he who gave the apostle, some to be apostles. There's a grace for the apostolic ministry. He gave some to be prophets. There's grace for the prophetic ministry. These are different dimensions of grace and different giftings. Okay, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and some to be teachers. Okay, so we see that God has set gifts in our midst. We need to recognize those gifts. Now, I could take you into Corinthians. I could take you into Romans and show you the various other levels, but we haven't got time for that. But right now, I just want to, I just want to camp on the government side of, of the gift. Why? He said to prepare God's people for works of service. Carry on reading it. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith. Not of the faith, in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we're going to be no longer be tossed around like infants, being tossed and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, We'll speak the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. 
From him, the whole body joined and held. Now we're all in this now together. First of all, he started with the gifts. Now he's bringing the body in. From, that, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. That takes grace. It grows and builds itself up as in love, as each part does its work with their portion of grace. Okay? So the first thing we need to understand, I'm just going to go through this very quickly. It'll help you. The first thing we must understand is that each one has been given a portion, a down payment of grace. Everyone has been given that portion. Secondly, God has set a grace gift in place over the church. He has, sorry, it's an office. It's not a job. It's an office. It's not a job. Let me say that again. What I do is not my job. What I do is my calling. When they sat down and they spoke to me, they watched my life, they observed my life. They didn't interview me and say, okay, and if you took this church, what would you do? What would you do? I'd say, well, I'd probably turn the heating on first. I'll make sure the seats are all down. Uh, you, know, you know, that's called service. They didn't. They recognized I was God's man for the next part of the journey. And then they all bailed on me. <laughs> they all bailed on me eventually. And a whole new generation came up. But there was a grace on me. Yeah. It wasn't an interview for a job. No. What happens is, is that they, they recognize the calling. And the Holy Ghost witnesses to them that he's your man. Yeah. Now, not every church goes, appoints their pastors like that. But that's the way this church did at the time. And I remember they appointed me in a pub. Can you imagine that? Going for an interview. I went in the pub. The dog and partridge. And I'm thinking, this is so, the church would go absolutely banner. The pastor in a pub? Yeah, in a pub. The dog and partridge of all places. And then I found I got the job. <laughs> or the calling. I got the job first, then I realised it was a calling. So secondly, the grace of God is given in church. It's an office, it's not a job. God calls the man, not the people. The people call the man. <laughs> you get that? The pun. God calls his man. And appoints his man. The people just call the man. God appoints and sanctions it. Without this grace gift functioning, you have total disaster. Without a pastor, everyone thinks they know how to run a church. Of course they do. Well, if I was the pastor, why is he doing that? Why are they doing that? They don't know what they're doing. I wonder what they're doing up there. Come on, don't tell me you haven't thought that. He silences your guilt then. I'll let you into a little secret. I think the same sometimes. What are we doing? Lord, show us. What are we doing? How do we get from here to there? Lord, I feel like I'm frustrating the people. God says, you think that as well. It's funny, you and me and the Father were only talking about that the other day. <laughs> Thirdly, when God sets the gift in place, he has your development and growth and maturity in mind. That's why he gave the grace gift for you. Whoever that, who, whoever that you is and whoever that man is. God gave that gift by his own hands supplied your future's needs. His own hands has supplied your future's needs. That's if you get the right man and the man stays in the right place. What we normally have, when I say we, I mean the global church, a man comes, he spends two years and then he's on his bike. And then the next one comes in. And it's like merry-go-round. You can't take the people anywhere. You can't build the people. You can't do anything with the church. Why? Because every too many, uh, so many years, the denomination move him on. Now, that works, that works sometimes for the good and, and for the bad. There's nothing worse than having a bloke standing there for 20 years and he's going nowhere. Then he's nothing worse than a bloke who wanted to go somewhere, moves after one year. True? That's why if you raise sons up in the house, it's different. You have to keep going to Bible cemeteries to get them, right? There's a problem. If you raise sons and daughters up from your own house, then you can observe their life. True? If you don't know a person, you've only got an interview. You've got someone's life, you can observe it. True? So God saw your needs ahead of time and, and positioned a man of God on the earth so that God could get all of heaven through his life to you. To help you. How good's that, oh God? That's God's grace right there working ahead of time. It was in your future. Well before you ever entered into it. 
Amen. Fourthly, the grace is given to prepare you for works of service, not prepare you for a church service. The grace is given to prepare you for works of service, not a church service. So we think, oh, we need a grace for musicians. We need a grace for children's workers. Hey, that's for us. What about the world? We need to take what we have. What we're doing here is just a Sunday. What we're called to do is out there. True? We, are just, we do this one day. The rest is out there. That's where we live life. That's where I need the grace out there. All you have to do is look and smile at me. That don't take grace. I just text perseverance, <laughs> endurance, and lies. Come on, we've all sat there and thought, wish you'd flip and shut up and get on. I've got football to go on, man. <laughs> oh, Pastor, I love you. Bless you, Lord. <laughs> I've got a turkey in the oven. Yeah, I've got one sat in front of me as well. <laughs> Fifthly, the grace is given so you can be built up until you reach the unity in the faith and your knowledge increases. God has given grace for you to do this. Amen. Six, grace is given so you can become mature. Oh God, let the people of God become mature. Amen. Why do you need to become mature? So you can attain the whole measure. Let me put it like this. Let's just say, we have a, let's just say we go and get little, one of the little kids outside and, he's, and, and we say, right, reach what's up there. What's he going to have to do? He can't do it, can he? That will frustrate him. Will it not? Say, let's just say, Jacob, Jacob, your Christmas present's on the top of that speaker. How many of you know Jacob, if he's smart, he's going to get every chair he can. He's going to find a way to get his present because he's not tall enough. He understands that. He knows the full measure of what I've got him, bought him, is up there. He's going to find a way. Right? So, the thing is, because he's not tall enough yet. Right? There are things that God wants you to reach, but you're not tall enough yet. So, you need a grace gift to help you get to that next level. But some people don't think they need this grace gift. They think they can do it all themselves. And guess what? You don't attain the full measure. That's why he says, look, I know what the church needs, meaning God. I've already given the gift to help you attain the full measure. So that though you're, not, you're small right now in your faith, you will grow in stature so that you can reach the heights that I've set for the church. Does that make sense? But we think, don't need the pastor, we can bypass him. I don't need you to need me. You don't need me to need you. So we're both free from that codependent lifestyle. True? We don't need that. We need interdependence. Interdependence. We're a body. If you can go alone on your own for months and months and months, right, and not need this church or not need the body or the ministry, then my friend, you don't need the church. You're not connected. I'm not talking about needing the church in terms of problems because as we mature, we don't need one another in that sense. I'm, I'm governing my own life. That's called ministries working. True? Some pastors, unless you haven't got a full diary of people sitting on their couch and they're stroking them, they don't feel loved. The pastor doesn't feel loved. I think, what a dipstick. That means you're not doing your job. In, fix you, out. Now, it might take a couple of sessions to fix you, but guess what? We are always looking at the door. The door is our pilgrimage. When the doctor, you go to the doctor, my doctor never looks at you. Oh, I think it's just me. I think he's frightening me. You'd find that, Andy, when you go to Dr. Butler. He kind of stuns there and he closes his eyes. I'm thinking, open your eyes, it's me. I just want to be noticed. I don't feel love when I see you. <laughs> it's like that, isn't it? Anyone who's got Dr. Butler around the corner here, he never looks, but I don't think he knows what I look like. <laughs> He's been our family GP for years. I was thinking to myself, why don't you look at me? Anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> Seven. Seven. Grace is given so you can hold your course rather than you be tossed to and fro by the waves. The grace gift helps you to stay, remain upright. But we keep moving from church to church, to church to church, to church to church. Man alive. 
Some people are recovering church holics. Seven, uh, sorry, grace is given so you can hold on your, on, on, onto your course rather than be tossed to and fro by the circumstances of life. For this happens, it takes sustaining grace. Number eight, we need grace to be able to speak the truth to one another in love so we can grow. Oh, let me just park here for a second. We need grace to speak to one another in truth and in love. That's why we must recognize, respect, honor, and guard if we, don't, if we don't understand those levels, we mess up big time. 2 Timothy says this. Let me read them to you. Don't, don't spend time going there. Just listen to it. You can write them down and, and read them later on. In 2 Timothy 4, it says this. In 2 and 3, it says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. And then he says this, correct, rebuke, and encourage. And with great patience and careful instruction, for this time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Now, if you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. So the man of God, so the men of God, so the people of God will be equipped thoroughly in every good work. Do you not think to teach someone, to train someone, to correct someone, to rebuke someone, to encourage them, it takes grace? Come on. So many men can't say what they need to say because they're frightened of the, of the backlash. But for me to go to you as a minister, as a governmental gift, and sit there and rebuke you, that takes not only guts, it takes grace and courage. And for you to say, thank you, pastor, it really helped me. Hey, come on, help. Let's see the severity here. If the word of God is necessary so that you can be, let's read it again, because I know you missed it. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Everybody say Useful. For teaching me, rebuking me, correcting me, training me in righteousness. So that I, as the man of God or the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the word of God needs to come to you. But you don't always like the vessel it comes through. You don't always like the way, the ferocity it comes through. You want love me tender. You want Elvis songs. Love me tender. Love me I can't do that. I'm not Elvis. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not Elvis. I'm Tony. I need my grace to be able to do and become that mouth on roller skates that God prophesied to me I would become. You're not roller skate. You might be ice skate. You might be toboggan. You might be country. I'm rock and roll. Whatever analogy fits you, you need your grace to be able. You know when you've got to sit with a friend? Do you know when you've got to have that conversation with your friend, right? And you think, Lord, how am I going to tell him, tell them, tell her what she's doing, he's doing, he's winding the stuffing out of me. Do you realize how much prayer goes into that before they finally sit down with you or before you finally sit down with them? And you say, Lord, help me, Lord, because I don't want to lose the relationship, but she's winding the stuffing out of me. Or am I the only one who goes through that? Right? I cannot, when Tony comes to talk to you, Tony cannot come as Tony. Because Tony's got a baseball bat. And it's got a feather on it. No, seriously, I can't come in my humanity. It's wrong. But very often people come to me in their humanity. Now my grace holds me and forgives them. But you only come at me like that once. Guess what? Once you come at me like that, you're only going to do it once. I'll give you grace the first time. And I know, th- I know you think you've got away with it. But guess what? You haven't. Because it's not right. Someone just attack you like that. Someone needs to respect, honor, trust. Everyone, we all need to do it with one another. We need to prefer one another. 
So if I come to you or you come to me or we go to one another, we need to respect what is the grace level on them? What is the maturity level? Lord, how can I minister what needs to be ministered so that we can reach the unity of the faith? It take, And listen, if it spends you two weeks praying before you finally get your heart in the zone, good. Don't say anything until you're in the zone. The first thing I always counsel all the leaders when you've got to have that conversation is get the seed of bitterness out of your own heart first. That's why I never deal with you on day one. I always walk away from conflict, get my heart right. And then when I sit down with you, I'm not emotionally attached. True? I have, a, I have a system, grace, mercy, and truth. Phil doesn't work like that. We often have a laugh about it. He works to- totally different from me. But that's, that's, that's what keeps me. That's my grace. I know he, he and I don't agree with each other's way of doing it, but that's me. It works for me. More times than it doesn't. So grace, mercy, and truth. Now, you've all been given grace. As each man apportions it, so use your flipping grace. Don't use your carnality. Don't use your emotion. Use the grace you've got. All you have to do is stand there, go away, come back another day. Rain, rain, go away. Come back another day. At least when you come back, I've got an umbrella with me. Does this make sense? So that we treat one another with the respect we need. Can you just give me five more minutes? I just want to say something to you. First of all, you want to recognize the grace. If you want to put those four protocols in respect, honor, blah, blah, blah. You first of all need to, need to know how to appreciate the grace in others. From now on, church, I want to set you a task of God opening your eyes so that you recognize the grace in others. Because everyone's been given a portion of grace, everyone. And we work from that measure we've been given. Everyone. It's not for me to say hers is 12 ounces, hers is blah, blah, blah. It's each one's been given. A, you need to know your measure and you need to know other measures, what's around you. You know, the Bible says in Acts eleven twenty nine, it said the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. They did this by sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Each one did what their ability allowed them to do. They saw the need. They saw they had the resource. They had a measure there that the other brothers didn't have. So they worked from their measure. True? And their measure supplied what was lacking in the others. When you use your measure, it helps supply what's lacking in other brothers. Amen? When you use. But listen, your attitude all the time is under threat. Because your attitude needs to respect, honour, guard, protect, yours. If we're all doing that, we're all preferring one another. Does that make sense? If I can see the grace that's in, say for instance, David, if I can see the grace that's in him, I can inspire him. I can inspire him to go to a greater level. If he comes to me and sees it in me and he inspires me, we don't lose. There's no losers. We inspire one another. But if I don't open my life or don't even recognize and look around what grace is, I never can do that. The next thing is recognizing to, to appreciate this, this grace. Recognize this. Listen, recognize the sacrifice that others are making. This helps us understand People's love, their hurts, their pains, their desires, and reason for making their pilgrimage. Recognize the sacrifice that others are making. Don't just look at what they do, ask why they're doing it. Because they're on a pilgrimage. Why will they suffer? Why will they keep on doing what they're doing? Why? Because they see the pilgrimage in front of them. You need to respect that. You need to honor that. You need to support that. Those who labor. Those who were sacrificing. This morning you walked in. The first thing we all do is complain that the heating went off. It was no fault of our own. That for some reason the clock went off. We don't know why. However, people will look to me to say, your build, my building, your building, fix it. But if I wanted to sell it and take the money, you say it's not yours. <laughs> it's ours. True? True? 
Why? Because we all own it. Why? Because we've all got a portion. Because our heart's here. We own it by heart currency. True? But when everything goes wrong, it's his fault. (laughs) We recognize the grace. I'm not the janitor. I'm not. If there's a leak in the roof, I'm not the builder. You need to recognize, look around the church, see who's doing what. Help. Now, what's been beautiful is to see how the, the, the people at the cafe have started to, to uh, they've increased the workforce. It's good to see you working side by side. And it's good to see how people wind you up when you don't get your order. <laughs> I order bacon. I didn't ask for it cremated. And you sit there and you pull your face at it. Hey, someone labored for you. Well, I'm paying for it. That's the wrong attitude. You can say, excuse me, love. Can you resurrect this bacon for me? Can you put it back on the pig? Can you, what can you, you don't have to have an attitude because your bacon didn't turn up the way you wanted it. Please, please. This is just a little window in a cafe. You know, seriously, seriously, ask your attitude. Look at those who are laboring. Stop picking faults in them. The Christmas production. So what? We're not, we're amateurs. We're amateurs. So when you sit last week and you think, well, the flipping lights didn't work or this didn't work, shut up. (laughs) When people rise up here and you're sat there watching, don't blame the man in the field. When you, you know today, when that football match is on, there'll be 40 odd thousand people criticizing the guys on the field. True? You're not on the field, shut up. Learn to respect. When the sound goes wrong, what do we all do? We look over there. Nobody knows the soundman's there. Nobody appreciates the soundman until it all goes wrong. But without their skills and their labor, Listen, when you walked in at 25 to 11, this thing was already up and running. Hello? And when the building's going, I wish it should be, it's going cold. Hey, I put the heating on. Come on, church. Recognize, respect, honor, guard. The grace is there for a reason. So when the sound starts working, all the instruments are all tuned in and the voices sound like angels. Right? They've been here since nine o'clock or half past nine and their voices have warmed up. They have, seriously, they have. And the salmon, Nick gets here way early. John gets here early. These boys get here and, and um, Rafa gets here early to tune up to make sure everything's plugged in so that when we go, right, my church, let's stand up to our feet. Let's go. You're ready to go. You've walked in half asleep in bed. They were out of bed two hours before you. We need to respect that. When was the last time I went to a sound man and said, you know what, thank God for you. Come on, these are the unsung heroes. Hey, the sound man should be going, hey, about flipping time he stood up for us. <laughs> Seriously, these boys, Nick comes on his motorbike in bad weathers and he's here. And then we have the musos who come in and our fingers are cold because when we get here, the building's not warm. And they've got blue fingers. And you say, oh, he dropped that note this morning. His fingers are still freezing. <laughs> it's true. Someone got here before you. The car park. Well, I can't park my car. So now it's the car park attendant's per- fault. And the guys who are on the car park, the guys who are on the door, they didn't kiss me this morning like he kissed her. <laughs> hey, come on, give me a break. Hey, you're getting a hug. Tongues is out. (laughs) Recognize the sacrifice that others make. Please, church, recognize the sacrifice that others make. Last one, we're out of here. Recognize the sovereign hand of God upon others. Recognize the sovereign hand of God upon others. John the Baptist, Mary, had the sovereign hand of God upon him. Mary, you're highly favored. There's some people who are highly favoured because the hand of God is upon them and you compete with that and it's wrong. You look at it through the personality rather than the sovereign hand of God. I can tell you right now who the sovereign hand of God is upon this church. I know because I've observed. 
Now, you've all got a portion. So, recognize the sovereign hand of God upon others. And I lie to you, this is the last one. Recognize the difference in others. Recognize the difference in others. So, we recognize the contributions of others. We recognize the sacrifice that others make. We recognize the sovereign hand of God upon others. And now we recognize the difference in others. You're not the same as me. I'm not the same as you. In case that's not abundantly obvious, I want to make that revelation known to you today. That's the first portion. Download right there. You might be better looking than me. I said, mate. <laughs> the issue is we're different. Please, please recognize the differences. This must be our watchword in the house. These four areas, if we are going to build and work in grace, then these areas must be our watchword. I am going to labor in these areas. And I want you to labor in these areas with me. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet, if you will, please. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information,